Okay, so I know that you already told me a little bit more about your background and how you started this project, but can you give us a little insight into how this came to be and like the origin story? Yeah. Oh, Happy Partners Project is a labor of love and life learning. So it's a check-in method that I created at the end of a long, long road of personal development on my own life and having a series of damaged and broken and difficult relationships and really like rolling up my sleeves and going into the trenches to learn mindfulness and my own wounding and my own shadow work and really starting to learn new ways of relating that weren't on my old patterns. And so when I was starting um, a new relationship with who's now my fiance, John, I had said to him that I wanted to do check-ins and I didn't even know what that meant, but he was up for it. And he says, you know, great. Okay. What does that mean? And I, I was kind of like, okay, I actually don't know what that means. So I went to the internet and I looked up relationship check-ins and how to do one. And I found a lot of resource that relationship check-ins, marriage checkups were a crucial part of a long, healthy long-term relationship that they increased relationship satisfaction and really nothing on how to do one. So I thought, okay, this is an opportunity to, for my relationship to do this. I really want to do it. I don't want to have to always have uh, reactive conversations. I think there's an opportunity in the proactivity of uh, dialogue that's ongoing. So I dropped into my mindfulness practice, my years of cognitive behavioral coaching, my entrepreneurship, everything I learned about open-ended questions and curiosity and human connection. And I built in a process, a method that then I went afterwards and researched and there is scientific backing on like neuro-linguistic programming. Some of this that is stitched throughout here, nonviolent communication that's stitched throughout the deck as well. So just a lot of really proven strategies and tactics for communicating. Yeah. I love that it came from a a personal place of you really wanting to hone in on this in your own relationship. I think oftentimes like the best products and services come from those places. You knew you wanted to have check-ins with your new partner. Where did that desire to have a check-in come from? Yeah, I had found that through relationship that, that I had historically had, they moved really fast. You know, it was always reactive when something was going on. That's when we have the conversation. And I had identified those as my own personal red flags. Some of the, some of the habits that it would go really fast, that it would feel rushy, that, um, you know, there were a few little anchor points. And so I thought, okay, for me at this point, it's going to take slowing down and really staying in dialogue. I had also been unraveling some codependency and codependent habits. So being able to have regular communication about the, the relationship and also being able to create an environment of safe expression of my needs and requests and desires was going to be really important as I looked to build a new kind of relationship culture. So I think that was partially it. And then um, there was an element of realizing that the reactive place is not always the best place to have the conversation. If we're always approaching what's going on in our relationship every time there's a rupture, the, the energy going into that kind of conversation is already one of defense, one of being defended. And so I thought there could be an opportunity in having that as a more proactive approach, a proactive opportunity to talk about what's going well 
and what's going going not so well, or maybe some areas that we now are learning that we'd like to work on rather than, oh, this is a problem. Let's now talk about it. I really like that approach because it gives you space to focus on the good things that are going well too. Because like not every check-in would need to be necessarily like quote unquote negative or a problem to solve, right? Exactly. And, the, and that's actually the power of the method that I created too, is that there's five categories and three of the five categories I like to say are like a big cushy bubble around the two that can be a little bit more heated. So gratitude obviously is a big diffuser of any charge. It gets you back into that yumminess of what you appreciate about your partner, the little things that they do for you on a regular basis. Refriending, so staying in connection as friends, right, is so important over time, especially with lives getting busy and if people are adding children into the mix, you know, or if there's a sick family member and there's a lot going on or any major life transitions happening, the friendship often is what goes first, right? You stop talking about those deep um, connective tissue conversations and start talking more logistics. So, you know, refriending is really important. Future gazing, like where are we headed? What do we want to be creating together? And then the two challenging ones would be sex and intimacy because a lot of people don't want to talk about their sex life or some people aren't as versed in in talking about um, sex in an open way. And then obviously conflict resolution. So there is a category dedicated to just opening up the dialogue on frustrations and grievances. Yeah, I love that it's like a holistic approach to the different like pockets of a relationship that really contribute to feeling fulfilled on both sides I would assume so yeah I love that there's it kind of like covers all the bases there and I know when we first talked we had um I brought up like future gazing to you and I wanted to talk about this because this is very relevant today because we had this conversation today I personally am just feeling just so overwhelmed I feel lack of control with like I feel like I have a lot of to-dos that are like not really fulfilling to me and part of that is financials and so we have been talking about purchasing property and we're in the Denver area so like market's insane and he my fiance has a background in property management and like rental properties so he like we have the same like end goal we both like want financial freedom we want we want similar things like at the end, but the conversations that we have and visions for how we get there is drastically very, very different because he sees buying rental properties as a way to get there. And logically I can see, yes, like this is smart. Like I get the investment, but then like emotionally and personally, I'm like, oh, I'm so not interested. I don't want to do that. And I really don't want to like contribute a lot of my money to that because to me, I want to grow the podcast. I want to invest in the podcast. This is like my passion. This is my dream. And this is my like way to get to where we both want to be. So today I I had that conversation because I was just feeling so overwhelmed with everything. And I was like, yeah. And I just like feel like I have to penny pinch and all this stuff and I can't spend this and I need to hire an editor and all this stuff. And he was like, you know what? You don't need to feel like you need to save your money. Like you can spend your money how you want to spend it. But it was a very reactive conversation. So I wonder how different that would be if we'd brought it up under a different context yeah and maybe even um you know through the prompts that it could have come up maybe earlier in the relationship so that it wouldn't be in a moment where you're needing to prioritize okay my life vision or your life vision right or how can we find somewhere in the middle because you guys would have had that conversation maybe earlier on by having been forced to through the prompts of a you know card deck or a process or a methodology to help guide you down that road and 
you know, what I loved about what you were saying is that you really went into your feelings about it, though, which is very connective about feeling overwhelmed about the process and feeling somewhat disconnected from the grander vision. And so now your fiance is going to be able to see what your pathway of a vision is and you see more clearly what his pathway of a life vision is and you guys can figure out how to meet somewhere in the middle and you know maybe there's different chapters maybe right now you guys are in the podcast chapter and priority and then you know you you factor into your financial planning in six months nine months or just to keep a regular dialogue about this going so that when you're ready to open the chapter of rental property you know, you guys both know that that's on the horizon. And so it's beautiful that you are having those kinds of conversations right now. Yeah, it's definitely needed. I definitely see the value in being able to have that context in earlier conversations that are prompted very unemotionally by a deck rather than me being like, I can't do it. I'm so overwhelmed. (laughs) So very different conversations for sure. But overwhelm is going to happen in life, right? And they're going to have things that are happening over time. So being able to navigate the sticky conversations in real time and being able to share with your partner openly what's alive for you, which right now is overwhelm of, you know, this priority list that's stacking up and it looks like there needs to be some give and some take. And so where's the give and where's the take going to come from? And does it all have to be give and take right now or can it be give and take in a a wider time frame so that you guys can both get your dreams met? Right. Because it sounds like that's a dream for him as well as the rental properties are what he knows, feels confident in and uh, sees as a pathway for of security for you guys. Yeah. And it's different in the way that we both always been on the same page about everything. And this is like a very big shift in we're not which is totally fine. And like our conversations are very helpful and I feel better coming out of them and I feel supported and he feels supported. So like we need to have these conversations, but it's just very different which I think like having a regular practice of going through prompts would be like really helpful just in. Yeah, I mean, I would be surprised if there were any couples who had had proactive conversations about what they would do if the world shut down and they had nowhere to go but their house for what was supposed to be a couple weeks, then a couple months, then a few months, and now a year, right? So being able to resource up and get the tools that you need in real time is going to be crucial. And um, with a client right now, I'm t- he's he's building a, a fast growing startup, and so I with and he's also working on some relationship things along the way, both interpersonally in romantic space and with his businesses and his team. And you know what I what we've been working on is, hey, you don't want to be in the fire when you're trying to figure out how to navigate a mindfulness practice. You're not in the fire yet because you're on, you know the growth phase is coming in the next six months. So let's work on your mindfulness practice now. It's no different when you're going in early relationship. Like if you wanna have kids or if there's an unanticipated loss or there's something that just some intense thing happens at work that no one could have foreseen, being able to go into proactive communication and practice resource up early so that when you are in an activated state, those resources become first nature instead of an after the fact cleanup phase, right? Where, oh, I could have gone here, but I didn't because I was activated. And now we're cleaning up the active, the, the aftermath of that activation, right? So this, this process, and I just think even if you don't do our method, but you're doing some version of checking in and slowing down your conversation, really starts to build a healthy conscious communication 
um, culture for the couple, right? So that when there is a hardship, you're more prepared for it um, on a neurological level. Yeah. And it, it's like training. It's like emotional and communication training. And I wanted to ask you, I'm going to say it wrong, neuro-linguistic something. Yeah. Neuro-linguistic programming. And I said cognitive behavioral coaching too. Yeah. Yeah. What are those? <laughs> so both of those are just fancy ways of saying that your thoughts and beliefs dictate your actions and behaviors and your habits. So a lot of time people say, change your habits, change your life. And it's really change your beliefs and your habits will change and then your life will change. And so um, that is a, a particular framework within this methodology as well, because there's an open-ended prompt that you that you're that is through each one of the categories, and it's with eyes closed, by show of fingers, rank with on a scale of one to ten using your fingers. So let's say the question was, um, how would you rank your overall relationship satisfaction right now, right? And so if I gave a seven and you gave a six, then the next question on that is, well, what is a seven? What is a six, right? And we start to get down to what are our beliefs about the definition of a of a healthy or happy relationship or what is relationship satisfaction and my six and how I explain a six is going to be different than how you chose or explained a six, right? And so just by having that prompt, you get to this deeper layer of, oh, my partner needs this to reach a six or my partner needs that to reach a 10. And so what can we do between now and then now that we know that to inch one notch higher on that ranking system between now and the next time? And also, but through that conversation, both partners might realize, well, we're actually both sevens. I ranked a six and you ranked a seven to start or vice versa. And through this clarification about what a six or a seven is, now I realize we're both at a seven. And so how can we get to an eight by next time? So that's fundamentally um, getting to how what you believe a satisfying relationship looks like and then starting to change your habits based on that belief. It's such an important question that we never ask. What would a satisfying relationship look like? Yeah. We're just like on our own definitions for life. <laughs> like unless you have these conscious conversations, you know, it's wild. Yeah, and and our partners aren't mind readers, so they would never know that. And we might even not even know that until prompted with that question. And it really gives us a chance to get clear on, well, what does that look like? Or what would my ideal situation look like? And how can we build that together? Mm -hmm. And what, is, what, what does that look like if we're, you know, if, if, a, if relationship satisfaction to me meant a date night a week, you know, then that's very actionable to get a date night a week on the, on the calendar, you know, versus just being like, oh, I'm trying to make my partner happy and I don't really know what's going to get us there. Yeah. And I think it would be just as helpful for both parties to process through that together because like maybe you don't know what you would really want from a relationship or like what would get you to attend until you're like talking it out or like intentionally thinking about what that would actually look like. So that's such a common question. Like how do you keep a marriage happy? How do you keep the love alive like after so long? Well, and you know, I actually asked John, my partner this last night, I said, are you the, do you, do you think you're the same person as you were at, at January of 2020? now that we're in Q2 of 2021 after a pandemic, do you think that your preferences that you had at that particular time are the same as your preferences now? Like everything has changed about your perceptions. We had this 
wildly challenging and exhilarating and, you know, illuminating year, but that can happen with or without a pandemic. Like today, the person I am today is different than the person I'm going to be in six months, just by factor of my own evolution. So being in the constant dialogue of that, of like, well, maybe what I want today isn't what I'm going to want in six months. And how could my partner know that? How could I even necessarily know that if I'm not being conscious about it in a, in a regular cadence or a semi-consistent cadence, you know? Yeah, such a good point. I immediately can like resonate with that and relate based on just the way that our lives have changed in the last year or so and just with boundaries. I know that's going to change again because for me, we're in a one-bedroom apartment and we're both working from home on our computers all day long. And obviously we were not expecting for that to be. The- and now I'm like, get away from me. Do not come in here. <laughs> like, yeah, so the boundaries are so different and that is going to change again. So we're like, and all the couples were like right on top of each other, right? I will remember, I will never forget the, I think it was probably four or six weeks in when we just all hit our breaking point. It was like my, my fiance has a nine-year-old who well, he just turned nine. So he was eight at the time. And so when school shut down and my work went into high gear and John's work went into zero gear, like he was like, he was safe, but he, his, he was in, he's in the real estate space. So his, everything just froze in the real estate industry. And I was at that time um, doing consulting. So a lot of my clients like actually went into hyper need um, and what was so fascinating about that is that our rupture was so intense. It was like, I need space. And he was like, I need stuff to do. And it was like, well, you know, like everything was just so intense. And we could have never foreseen that we'd be in that space. But because we've, we'd practiced having these conversations, you know, it made surfing that wave a little bit more manageable. It sounds like you and your fiance, though, are in a, in a pretty ongoing dialogue and have mindful communication between the two of you through these processes as well though. Yeah, I think we do, but kind of like I'd mentioned before to you that it still feels reactive. We have a a different set of skills that I think apply to us just because I think we're both very emotional people and I am like extremely empathic. So a lot of the times I'm the one to like head the conversation or to be like, whoa, like today is weird, what's going on? And then you you bring up nonviolent communication and I, I want to talk about that a little bit because it's so hard to like take ownership of stuff and you just want to like blame the other person and be like, well, you always interrupt me when I'm on my computer and that's not true. <laughs> like, so I think like I try to be aware of that too, but I'm curious like what your thoughts are and how can you, you expand on nonviolent communication and how that comes up? Nonviolent communication is an approach to communicating frustrations, to communicating ruptures. It was actually um, created by a PhD, Marshall Rosenberg, who was a mediator. And he needed to find a way to help people reach resolution in a nonviolent way, in a way that didn't condemn or create judgment. So that's really the framework of it. It's language, any any language that it would be considered violent would be language that condemns or passes judgment or projects an opinion or criticism onto the receiver of the conversation. So the way we flip that is we turn it into mostly I statements. We lead with I statements. We go to feelings first. So the framework is I feel name your emotion, when, trigger, the activating event, and here's my request or my need that that I would like to have met, right? So um, 
when we're able to go to feelings first, we're able to actually diffuse the conversation around it being a judgmental about, you know, judgmental or like pointing the finger type of critical conversation with our partner or with a coworker or whoever it might be. So really the first task is to identify what you're feeling, which is why I commended you at the beginning of our conversation about the, you know, being able to say, I feel overwhelmed because a lot of people can't properly identify their emotions. I think a lot of people, myself included, do this or think like if you put I feel in front of any sentence that that's the same thing. It's probably not as effective if you're just like, I feel like you always interrupt me. (laughs) There's more to it. Like I feel annoyed. Yes, it's actually such a great point that you bring that up, Sarah, because the the next piece of that is feelings and versus opinions. So if any if there's any phrase that follows the word feel, it's an opinion and it's still technically a judgment and a technically a criticism. So the, the, the trick here is to really make sure that you're, you're noting an emotion after that. Um, anything I feel like I feel that is still going to, it's a, it's a roundabout way of still pointing the finger at the other person rather than taking ownership. So it's, you know, really, helpful that you brought that up because I catch myself doing this. I hear Yeah, I feel like you always And it is, I mean, it is a valiant effort on the communicator's part because they want to be going to their feelings, but we've historically been taught that that's not a safe place to go when you want to be vulnerable, that, you know, that's opening yourself up to risk. Yeah, I just think it's so interesting that we do that in relationships, especially with like significant others, because it's weird to me that we have to keep reminding ourselves that we're on the same team or like that we actually want to be helpful. Yeah. I I mean, it's definitely a muscle that you have got to work just like as if you were going to the gym and doing, you know, wanted to increase your strength physically. Uh, This is a muscle that needs to be practiced and and strengthened over time. But it ultimately comes back to that root cause. At some point, you know, we make we make decisions to keep ourselves safe. And we experienced pain and suffering at some point in our life when we were vulnerable, when we maybe expressed what we really wanted to say, or maybe we were even overtly told by someone that we looked up to and admired in our life that it wasn't safe to express your feelings, right? I have a, um, a client who grew up anytime they expressed emotion, they were told, calm down, Mm -hmm. just calm down, you know, which over time, the, the, the belief that can be taken on is I'm not accepted. I'm actually rejected when I express heightened emotion. So I need to find a way to shut down my emotion so that I don't cause discomfort for other people and get told to calm down. You know, that's a very bold and like big example, but these, this is playing out in micro events constantly through our relationships. And it's a gift that we get to have that shine, you know, that light shined in relationship. Our partner is there to, or I think by design, relationships are there to show us our triggers, show us our superpowers, light up our wounds, give us an opportunity to heal them with the right partner. The right partner will help us heal our shadow. Have you have you experienced that with your partner, with your fiance, where you guys came in with something that maybe was wounded, and by this conscious communication, you guys are now stronger, and also maybe that wound completely got healed. Oh yeah, yep, 
definitely seen each other in very different lights and in very different stages of our lives. But one thing that he's done for me that he probably doesn't even know, like the impact that he's had in that is in our relationship, I feel like I just like creep along and like, is this okay? If I like do this, like, will you accept this? But then like every single time he's just like, yes, like do more of that. We haven't had conversations around that really where I've said like, I feel like I can't be myself but he like affirms that, which in this case I think has been really powerful because I haven't had to say that and it's been so just natural for him to just really affirm that if I do want to become a podcaster, then he that's going to be okay and like he's going to be proud of me for doing that and like root for me, not say, wow, like that's not who you were when we got together and I don't want to do that. Yeah, and that unconditional acceptance, like what a special quality that he brings in to help you heal that, you know, fear of judgment or fear of non-acceptance that had been playing out in other relationships and maybe even a little bit at the beginning of yours. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's very good at that. So that's definitely something that I'm very thankful for because it's very fulfilling, like obviously for me, because I'm able to like be myself and not be worried about like what he's going to think and stuff. Cause that was a fear that was present for me for a lot of relationships prior. I'm sure so many people, myself included, can identify with that because, you know, unfortunately, up until now, the world has not necessarily been a a place that is built on acceptance. It's usually built on like, you need more, you're not enough, your image isn't right, like you've got to hold to this certain, you've got to fit into this box and then that box is going to change in nine months and you're going to have to try and fit into that box too. And if you don't, you're shameful. So to be in a divine relationship, that's what I would, that's how I would phrase that as like a divine relationship that, you know, heals those kinds of wounds. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and being able to, to name that and like be able to tell him that is like obviously something I want to be able to do and just affirms him too. And I'm, I'm curious with like this type of prompt and the question that we've had here, like, do you have a favorite question or topic within the deck that you think has been really impactful or powerful for you? Mm, I do love the open-ended, you know, the, the one to 10, because I think that that has so many layers that unpack. I think one of my favorite questions is in the conflict category. And it is, have I con- have I said or done anything consciously or unconsciously that negatively affected you this week? Which the um, example that I, I reference on that is um, one time I, you know, I work from home as well. I've always been a self-employed or an entrepreneur of sorts. And there was this one day that I had something important going on and I had gotten up early. I usually am the late sleeper. John's up at like five, six in the morning and he's got his whole thing dialed up by the time I'm even getting up or he might even have left for the day. But this particular day I got up early and I was gussied up for whatever I had. I had like some work thing that was important. And I went out and I was kind of like proud of my outfit and he was rushed. So he just like rushed out of the house and didn't really notice that I was like, not only awake and like up at the same time as but that I was actually also like done up. And it's such a, it was such a small thing. I mean, it didn't cause like a major rupture or anything, but I was like, man, like I actually got up and I, and he, it was an unconscious thing. He didn't know that I want, I particularly went out there so that he would see me ready, you know? And so I would, you know, that kind of question gives you the opportunity to be like, yeah, I, I, this week for some reason, like, 
I got up early and I was I was dressed up and you didn't notice and I, I kind of felt deflated about that and you didn't even know that that was going on for me. He didn't know that that was going on for me at all. And there's nothing he could do to change it. And it's not even about that. It's about being able to be radically transparent with him about what I had experienced so that that didn't, to your point earlier, get snatched with something completely unrelated where maybe he didn't notice something else. And now I've, I've glommed them together to make a bigger story. And I like that you said that it was kind of more about you being able to be transparent in that instead of you like seeking that response from him later to be like, I experienced this. So now you need to do something to fix it. It's not really about that. It's it's more about just like open communication or like this is something that I experienced now. Maybe it's something that he will be aware of. Yeah, exactly. Because now he'll know that if I come out early and I'm particularly dressed up, that it would mean a lot to me if he was even able to verbally acknowledge that in the moment because he mentally acknowledged it he just hadn't verbally acknowledged it to me and so there that was the only piece that was missing of the like kind of what unconsciously affected me was like he kind of just breezed by me and then just went out the door and it was such a small and quick moment that um now he would know if in future if i got all it actually he did it today right now he was like I, I went and got like put my necklace on or whatever for our interview. And he was like, are you going somewhere? Are you have something going on right now? You know, so, you know, that was years ago that that example is from. But you could see he, he learned. <laughs> and it, it frames like maybe that I don't know if that is like your love language of words of affirmation. But it is. Yeah. So it could frame that bigger conversation. Like maybe you've already had that common conversation more common I would say in relationships where like you will at least ask like what the partner what your partner's love language is and then like that is like so concrete tangible example of like this is how words of affirmation would mean a lot to me and like how you how that can be applied to like you being able to receive it very effectively yeah we actually do have a card that calls from the um the love languages for those people who aren't familiar with their love language and what they like, how they like to give and receive love. So it's, it's so true. Like knowing that in and of itself can be so such a powerful um, insight into your partner's experience and how to how to have a, a joyful experience in your relationship together. Mm-hmm. And deeper than just like this is my love language. Now you figure out how to give that to me. <laughs> if my partner was like gifts was their love language I would need some guidance to be like I don't this does not matter to me so like how can I actually do this for you because I want to love on you but this does not come naturally I think it's a little easier if partners have one in common yeah the shared experience is absolutely an excellent point and learning to even resource in that way so it's conscious I mean that's really what this all comes down to I feel like we've used the word both of us many times of like being conscious and mindful and intentional in the relationship and knowing that ruptures are going to come, stormy seas are going to come, the unexpected is going to come. And how can you just resource up proactively so that you've got good practices sort of built into your cellular memory? Yeah. And even outside of the context of romantic relationships or significant other these are communication skills that are going to help you in the workplace in the office yeah because that's the the foundational principle i had about this business as well was in this method and this you know process is that if we can 
uh, practice this in our interpersonal relationship, our romantic relationship, then we start to laterally have impact, ripple effect on every other relationship that we have in our lives. So even if our sister or our mother or our brother or dad or anyone is not willing to change their behaviors strictly by me changing how I approach conversations with me resourcing up on my own relational tools, there will indefinitely be an impact on that relationship and could actually model it for that person in a way that they start to unconsciously change their behaviors and take on some of these healthy tactics, right? And then if you add in kids, you know, then you're modeling it forward and they start to learn emotional intelligence as part of their development from childhood. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. I, I used to work in a preschool. I was a preschool teacher for a while and I loved trying to like implement any type of like emotional intelligence at like a early age with toddlers is just so fun you are a superhero then oh my gosh to be working with preschoolers it's so fun and a lot I feel like one is a lot to handle so oh my gosh yes that's definitely why I'm not doing it anymore I will wait for my own children but yes I it is so fun I love that age and early development and the ripple effect of being able to implement this in a relationship that really matters to you and then seeing how that impacts other areas of your life and relationships too. I think it's really powerful. Yeah, and, and we're actually um, about to release a parenting category, so there'll be a sixth category. That's, um, it's not about conscious parenting. It's prompts and questions for parents. You know, what are our child's superpowers and how can we continue to foster that? What are our child's vulnerabilities and how can we help them navigate the world? Things like that. Like, what do we like about our parenting style? Where are we kind of missing the mark right now? I love awareness. I just love anything that helps cultivate awareness. (laughs) So that's so awesome. Cool. Well, before we wrap up, I have a few questions that I ask all my guests. Um, So I'll ask you two. The first one is, what's something that you do that makes you feel like your best self? Coaching and teaching. I mean, teaching in, in the sense with Lucas as a you know model for a relationship, I just feel so fulfilled by sharing the knowledge and be working with people as they become their best selves. Like that mirrors my opportunity to be my best self. I just leave most, you know, almost all of my calls just buzzing on the inside. Yeah, I love that. It means you're doing what you're meant to be doing. So that's really great that you're able to do that. And obviously self-care, you know, I take time for myself and make sure I'm an only child. So solitude is really important to me. So I pay attention to my body signals when I'm needing solitude and I give that to myself. The second question is, what's something you do to find inspiration when you're feeling uninspired? Mm, I reach out to the inspiring women in my life and... I let them know, you know, hey, I'm in a motivational funk. And they always have the best insights, you know, go for a walk or you've got this or it's okay. Just be with it. You know, they'll, they will give me the, the encouragement that they've gone through this too and that this time will pass and they get me back on track of, of it's okay to be in this moment right now. And what's one thing I could do for myself to get back on track. They usually help me get back on that mind, that thought process. Mm, Yeah, I love that. Leaning on your community. I had a friend do that today because today was a rough day for me. And she said, what is something you can do to gain the control back? Because I was like feeling so out of control about all these things. And I was like, well, I can wash my face after this podcast interview. 
because <laughs> I just love skincare. So I just got this new like tool and I'm going to do that. And that's what I can control today. So I, I love leaning on your community. I do that a lot too. And um, yeah, I that is so aligned with like everything you're doing because it's like conscious conversation with your community, with people who can, you know, give you what you need in that moment. Yeah. And I, my old habit would have been to isolate and go into solitude and just, which I, I know I said solitude is one of mine, but it would have been an unhealthy solitude to go into. It's an isolation of like, I just need to figure it out by myself and I can't go into connection. I go into disconnection. So I've, you know, really worked on unraveling that pattern. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. Cool. And the last one is, what is one piece of advice that if we all followed, we'd all be better off? Every single trigger, every single environment you go into, if it brings you joy, if it brings you pain, they're all little insights that you can get. So you can either keep what's working or start to shift what's not working in the life that you want to design for yourself. I love it. I think it gets harder as you get older you know, to, to keep like wanting to learn and, and keep an open mind. Cause curious is kind of like openness to me. And I think it's harder when we get older, but I, I love that. And where can we find you? Yeah. So we have right now the, um, card deck and the workbook that has 12 lessons of foundational relationship habits for couples and tracks the progress from a check-in on happypartnersproject.com. And you can find us at happy partners project on Instagram. I'm it's Jocelyn J.